0: But speaking of Nick, if you were here last week, you would have heard a cracker of a sermon from Nick. Um, it was a beauty, and so because it was so good, you should have remembered it. Okay, so I make, now now we do the memory test. Okay, it was 1 Corinthians chapter eight. You're allowed to cheat, um, but one of the things he said there was a classic line: "Was are you a are a what? Are you a what?" You're allowed to speak loudly. That's actually okay, all right? This is, you know, it's not a, it's, it's okay. What did I hear? I thought I heard something, but it was very, very quiet. Are you a puffer, yeah, or a builder? Okay. And who can tell me, what is a puffer? What puffs up? Knowledge. Knowledge. Very good. You did better than the probably the first service actually the first service had no idea this morning <laughs> quite frankly the second service actually did pretty good and that was pretty good as well. So what what puffs up? Knowledge. What builds up? Love. Love. And that's the more, more important one to remember. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And so it's just good to remember that. And we'll talk a little bit about chapter eight, but more about chapter nine tonight. Because chapter nine actually has some strong parallels with chapter 8. Some of the content that, you know, when you first read it, almost looks a bit the same, but then you realize it's actually got a very different focus. Because in chapter 8, Paul was talking about food offered to idols, which, as Nick explained, is not something we do very much around here, but he was explaining a bit how we apply that to ourselves today. And what's the principle behind that? And the principle behind that was around not disagreeing around things that aren't important in such a way that it makes it hard for people to believe or hard for people to operate as Christians. So he said, think of each other, focus on the things that are really, really important, on those things, be very tight, but in groups you will have different opinions. And if it's not a what we would say a salvation issue, a very core issue to our faith, then let's, expand, let's extend love and consideration to those people. So he's saying, don't put a stumbling block in their way. Don't make it hard for others in the congregation because you might think a certain thing. And it's a plea to the church, the people who are gathering there, the Corinthian church. Chapter 9 covers some of the same ideas, But in chapter 9, it's clear that Paul is actually responding to some accusations from people within that church to him and they were really saying that we don't think you're an apostle. You know, you shouldn't put yourself there. You're not an apostle. And so Paul's focus here is actually on a response to that and it's actually a defence. And as we read it, you'll see Paul's defending himself. But in the middle of defending himself he's actually also issuing a challenge to the Corinthian church as well. So we're going to read the whole chapter, and it's 27 verses, but we will break it up into bits. But I do want to actually outline it a little bit for you before we go through there, just so you can keep your ears out for the right things you know, as we go through this. So the, the, it starts in chapter 1, uh, sorry, in chapter 9, And up to verse uh, 14, Paul is actually saying, I'm free and I have rights. I'm free and I have rights. And then from verse 15 through to 23, he's saying, but I forego them for the sake of the gospel. So I'm free, but I have rights. I forego them for the sake of the gospel. And then the last few verses, he actually talks about what it is to be a disciple and about what foregoing rights looks like and how that might not necessarily be easy. And it actually requires some discipline. So keep your ear out for those things. So I'm going to read chapter 9. I'm going to start at verse 1. It's a very good place to start, unless you're singing Do Re Mi. Chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And here Paul's just saying, this church was birthed through my ministry. So I of all people should be an apostle to you. Verse 3. This is my defence to those who sit in judgement on me. Don't we have a right to food and drink? Don't we have a right to take a believing wife along with us, as do other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, or Peter, as we might know him? Or is it only Barnabas and I who lack the right to not work for a living? So it's just worth pausing and just saying, here at this time in the church, there were certain apostles who, when they went somewhere, they basically got paid to do that work. The church supported them. But when Paul came, they were saying, why do we have to support him? He's not a real apostle. He wasn't there with Jesus. And so there was that, that was coming at him. But he actually says earlier on, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Because we, though, there's the story of him meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road. Another story for another day. So don't we have the right, verse 5, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and sisters? I said that? Um, verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law, the Bible, say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely He says this for us, doesn't he? Oxen can't read. That's not in the Bible, but... (laughs) Surely he says it for us. Yes, this was written for us because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown a spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you shouldn't we have it all the more skipping down to verse 13 don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple that's the priest of the day and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar so in the old testament the priests their food their food supply was actually what was sacrificed to god and that's what he's referring to there In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So you might actually read this at the first and you think, this is Paul having a good whinge. Um, Or you might think, you know, we've all seen protesters. And I think this is Paul protesting, saying, hey, I'm free, as in I have freedom in Christ. But I have rights too. I have rights. I have rights to be thought of as an apostle. I have all people to you who was so fundamental in the forming of your group should be thought of as an apostle to you. So shouldn't I be treated and judged in the same way as the other apostles? You know, I deserve this. So, you know, he says, I'm an apostle. Firstly, here's my credentials. And as we read through the first verses, he actually talks about his credentials of why he should be considered an apostle. And then in the later verses, he actually talks about why he deserves to be rewarded for preaching the gospel. I deserve this. It's within my rights to ask for this. If there's an emotion of our times, it's outrage. And Paul is outraged at the treatment he's getting, or it would seem so. In fact, Paul, you know, might say he's just 2,000 years ahead of his time because he's got this outrage thing covered and it would work very well today. If you put that on social media, I tell you what. Um, But the thing here is that Paul doesn't stay there, he doesn't stay in that place. He actually takes all the sting out of his outrage by his second placard and his second placard says but I forgo them I forgo my right, my freedoms and my rights that I actually have in Jesus because of something and this is my really high-tech part I've been practicing this at home in front of the mirror look at that <laughs> okay so so he says this, I forego them, but why? For the sake of the gospel. It's not for nothing. I forgo them, but I forsake them. For the sake of winning people to the message of Jesus. So let's read, starting back to verse 12. Back to verse 12. But we did not use this right, the rights that he's speaking of here. On the contrary, we put up with or we endure anything rather than hinder. The gospel of Christ. We put up with or endure anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, I spoke about the values. We were talking about the values of our church and the DNA and the fact that we are Christ-centred. Talk about Paul. Don't let anything hinder the gospel message of Jesus. Down to verse 15. Let me plonk that. But I have not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you'll do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. And we read this and we think, boy, Paul talks expansively. He makes big claims. I would rather die. You know, like, it's very easy to say, not so easy to do. But when we read Paul, and if you know and study his life, You find out Paul actually did die because of the message of Jesus. He was willing to do this. So it's very easy to to say these big words. If you look at the life of Paul, he actually followed through on them. So I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And once again, we see these great words, these inspirational words that Paul says. Woe, you know, like the big words. Like, woe just means terrible. You know, may it be terrible for me if I don't preach the gospel. That's how much the love of Christ lived in his life. It's challenging for us. And there's a sermon in that, but it's not our focus today. We'll keep reading. Verse 17. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I might offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. I'm free. I have rights, but I lay them down. For the sake of the gospel. And why? And it comes through in verse 19. Although I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And what he's talking about here is to win people to the message of Jesus, the salvation message, the saving message of Jesus as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, the religious Jews of the day, those who were seen to be godly, I became like one under the law. I followed their practices, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, that's the Gentiles and the people of other faiths that lived in that region, I became like one not having the law, although I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. And I'll talk a little about that, but it's very important to to pick that point, that he remained under Christ's law, so as to win win those not having the law. For the well-heeled, I wore shoes. For the shoeless, I went barefoot. That last bit isn't in the Bible, just to be honest with you. But I think it might be in mine. But essentially... Paul saying here that I became or I looked like one underneath the law, like a religious Jew, even though he wasn't. He looked like one that was without the law, like one who didn't live under that rules to those who didn't, even though he remained under Christ's law. And it's important to say that, that in becoming like them, he didn't ignore the key fundamental things of Jesus and what that meant for him. So as to win them to Christ. Verse 22. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Once again, really expansive words and language that Paul uses to say that there was nothing he wanted in his life that would stop him from speaking the message of Jesus. Talk about Christ-centred. He was willing to forego his rights to win as many as possible to Christ. He was willing to adopt any characteristic or forego any characteristic that didn't compromise his conscience because he was under Christ's law. But he would do any of those things in order to not put a stumbling block, make it hard for people to access the message of Jesus. And just for those of you who were here last week, the difference from chapter 8, from there to here, chapter 8 was put aside your freedoms and your rights for each other. You know, for the sake of each other, put aside your rights and freedoms. In chapter 9, he's saying, I put aside my rights... And my freedoms for the sake of the gospel and for winning people to Christ. And the unspoken challenge here that Paul is making is, you know, to the readers, to the Corinthian church, is that they should do likewise. Indeed, there's a couple of places in Corinthians where Paul says something like, be imitators of me. Or, as in chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as i follow the example of christ so in saying these things remember that's in their mind as well follow my example as i follow the example of christ and what's the example of christ and we had this last week philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8 have the same mindset as christ jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we look at this, Jesus, who is part of the Godhead, part of the Godhead, great status, incredible status, was willing to put aside... That to come to earth, to die on a cross, that we might actually be able to be people who could enter God's presence, who we could actually be with God and that would be okay with him and we would be okay with him and he would be okay with us. It wasn't going to happen any other way. But Jesus emptied himself of every right that he had as being part of the Godhead to become human and to die for us. In this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says the emphasis clearly should be on the gospel of Christ. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute. Rather than the minutiae, the small things about culture and practice, or opinions, or rites, or eschatologies, which is a big word that says how things work around here in the spiritual realm, or theologies. Or perhaps any other peripheral issue that might potentially separate us, that might pull us apart. Any other social issue going on. Because you know what? Like I said before, we're going to have different opinions about different things. And I know I mentioned this before, but I like to say we should be solid at the core and fuzzy at the edges in our faith. What does that mean? That there are some things about the Christian faith that that we should not compromise. But there are some things that are not salvation issues, are not things that are absolutely fundamental to Christianity that Christians throughout history have held different views about. We shouldn't let them come between us and actually being a great community who love each other and can treat each other with dignity and respect. That we shouldn't be... Um, those we actually should love all those who walk in our doors even those who don't agree with my opinion on this issue or that issue in the midst of the discussion, we can have the discussion but that discussion should be held in the right spirit and at the end, if it's not core and fundamental to faith we should just be able to say, okay, we think differently, that's alright um, and we love each other notwithstanding Paul gives up his rights and his freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Now, who can tell me what the word gospel means? I want to hear that. Loud. I want to hear as many people as possible say this, okay? What does gospel mean? Good news. Good news. Tell you what, it's coming very soon. I don't know about you, but a community that is divided over small and trivial things or this issue or that issue or that issue doesn't sound like good news to me. Are we willing to give up our rights, our thoughts, our freedoms for the sake of the gospel, for reflecting the gospel in our midst? Paul talks about becoming all things to all people so that by all possible means... I might save some. That's in verse 22. But I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. What does that look like in our context today? What does that look like in our society? Let's have a think about that. What does it mean for people outside of the Christian faith? For those of us who are in the Christian faith, what does that look like? What does it look like to say that To the Muslims, I became like a Muslim. Now, I'm involved in a Muslim ministry, but that actually is a challenging statement to me. Probably is a challenging statement to many of us. To the Hindus, I became like a Hindu. When we think about that, that's challenging to us. It makes us pause and think what's that like? This is something our cross-cultural missionaries grapple with all the time because it's actually really difficult for them to work out, what does that mean? What does it mean to the Muslims, I became like a Muslim, to the Hindu, I became like a Hindu, all the time being under Christ's law, without compromising Christ's law. It gets really tricky in some cases because in many cultures, probably most non-Western cultures, religion... And um, religion and their um, practices, their culture, are so closely entwined. Culture and religion are almost the same thing. So you kind of have to work your way in there and and work that out. But it's actually something we, people who regularly come to church, and particularly those who have been coming for a long time, need to grapple with as well. Because many of you might realise you've come for a long time that we actually have a really strong culture in church as well. We have a strong Christian culture that's actually quite different and quite hard sometimes for people from outside of the Christian circle to actually understand. And so, you know, it's important for us to think about what parts of our culture do we need to consider and possibly forego... So that people outside of the church or outside of this family can actually hear the message of Jesus. What are the things we might need to put aside that might be, make it hard for people to access the message of Jesus? What are the stumbling blocks we put in the way? And one of them is language. We can actually sound like a pretty exclusive club where if you haven't heard the words, I've got no idea what they're talking about. Uh, where the in people, the people who've been around for a long time, they all know what they're talking about and what things mean. And when they do this strange thing like communion, they all know what that's about. But some people walking in from outside will have no idea. A few years ago, a couple of years ago, we actually ran an alpha course here. And at one of those courses, there was a young girl who um, was just new to faith or just coming to faith, just interested in becoming a Christian. But she hadn't spent very much time in church at all. And she actually explained what it was like being someone from outside of church coming into a church. And she actually gave a really good example of what it's like. She said, you know what it's like? It's like walking into a really good movie in a packed cinema halfway through the movie. Halfway through. You walk in and you can just tell by how people are reacting. You can just feel it, that people are right into this. And this is a great movie. You can tell it's great. But you've got no idea what's going on as you sit down. You've got no idea. You can't follow the plot because you've missed the first half of the story because there's so much background information that you need to have to actually get that understanding of why it's a great movie. And so one of our challenges is how do we help those people to walk in here and be able to feel like I get it. They speak my language. So when, when I asked before how many people here knew what the word gospel means, most of us knew what the word gospel means, but you ask somebody who hasn't come to church and ask them what the word gospel means and they've probably got no idea. And that's not to be critical of them. It's just not a word they use. They just don't know it. They wouldn't know what it means. If you said, I'm going to tell you the gospel, they would... Probably not have much idea what you were going to say next. Unless they had some church background somewhere. So what are those things that we actually need to forego, to put aside, um, so that we don't put things in the way of people hearing the message of Jesus? And the other one is what are the things in our society that we should adopt, that we actually should take on? To the Jew I became like a Jew. To those under the law I became as under the law. To those without the law... I was one without the law what are the things that we actually should adopt in order to win people to christ and here i could say um, there are things we do in this place to endeavor to do that and we sh- we should acknowledge that um, you know we can maybe think of more and it'd be helpful and we may even do that exercise in small groups or outside or some other time but you know Having decent coffee is actually something that we do here to help people make it a bit more comfortable because everybody in the wide world... Actually, just to say that, when we first brought in good coffee, some people were thinking, why are we doing that? We found it very hard and thinking, surely the Nescafe that we have been drinking for 30 years is still good enough. <laughs> like, it didn't kill me. That which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Um, <laughs> And so why can't we just keep doing that? But actually having good coffee, because you know what? Everybody knows what to do with a cup of coffee. Everybody. It's a great thing to do, because people know that I come in here, I get my cup of coffee, I can hold it in two hands, so now I know, I, I know how to do this, I can do this. So that's one of the things. Um, probably another one I'd say is our dress code. You know, there are churches you go to where you have to dress up quite well, um, you know, it's part of the culture of that place. Here we're a bit more casual, making it easy for people to come in. But a great thing for us to think about, what can we do? These are great questions. A bit over, probably two years ago now, I reckon. Anyway, sometime like that, I could look up the dates. But Kathy and I actually took a friend of ours who was unchurched. Um, she hadn't been to church. In fact, she was a Sikh Indian. Um, lived next door to my father for five years five years after he lived she lived next door to my father she rang him up and said i want to go to a church can you help me so she was living at grange my father was living at Karunda. so he rang us and said can you help her we said sure we took her to grange baptist church who did a fantastic job of welcoming her and making her feel at home they were sensational But um, when we walked in there, it was at the height of the Israel Folau hoo-ha, I would say. If you remember that time when Israel Folau tweeted 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which we actually looked at a couple of months ago here. Nick preached a sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you remember that time, basically our society was in an uproar at this tweet that Israel Folau had made. Um, And in particular, they'd focused in on one one issue around homosexuality and what it had to say about that. And so in the middle of that, we walked into Grange Baptist Church. But they weren't talking about that. They weren't sitting there saying, oh, they've got it all wrong. (laughs) It's terrible what's happening out there. Look, they misquoted the Bible. It doesn't say what they're saying it says. They weren't sitting there defending their rights and saying, now, this is what you really should think about homosexuality. They weren't saying that. They weren't making sure that people had things right. What they were actually talking about was how can we love our Indigenous brothers and sisters better? How can we engage with them? And it wasn't a one-off sermon. It was a six-week series they were doing on engaging with Indigenous people in the hope that we, as a church, would love them better. And I just thought, how good was that? And that if someone walked in off the street, unchurched into that church, they were, they were thinking, wow, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting something that lined up with what what I've been seeing in the media about Israel Falou, and I was probably going to expect a fair bit of judgment. And what am I hearing? I'm actually, hearing a message that resonates with our society today, that's important and accessible and practical for our society today. And so I just thought, how good is that? What a better experience for someone coming into church. Just want to ask, who here has heard of Martin Luther King? Hands in the air, very high. So just so you know, Martin, that's nearly all of you, which, A, I'm very impressed by. Just so you know, Martin Luther King was actually, his most famous speech, which was at the march on Washington, was one month before I was born, okay? So he's not only before your time, but he actually is before my time as well. But if you know of Martin Luther King, you know of one of his very famous speeches, which is the March on Washington, his I Have a Dream speech. Who's heard of the I Have a Dream speech? Well, I'm about to show you a segment of that. But just before I do, understand that Martin Luther King, A, was a reverend, but B, he was a civil rights activist. So what do civil rights activists do? They talk about their rights. And this is his most famous speech, about rights and 100% agree with him that we're not judging people on the color of their skin but have a listen to what he says about how he wanted his children to be judged let's have a listen to this I have a dream. My So Martin Luther King says, even though he's talking about civil rights, his dream for his children was not that they'd be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. So he, didn't, he wasn't asking for them to get a free ride on the back of their colour of their skin. He was actually saying, I want to be equal. We all should be judged, all of us should be judged on the content of our character. And I think it's a great challenge for us there because you know what? If we're full of people who have great character, that sounds like a great community to me and that sounds like good news. So then we've, we move to the final piece of this chapter and it's a bit of an interlude really. Like if you actually read, keep reading through into chapter 10, Paul goes back to the old subject of rights and um, freedoms and foregoing those things. And he goes back to that, but every now and then, if you read through Paul's letters, he just can't help himself but drop something in there. And this is one of those, where he says, and in verse 24, this is the discipleship takes discipline. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And there's a sermon in this also, but it's not our focus for today. But suffice to say that here, Paul is saying that discipleship is not always going to be easy. That it takes effort, it takes discipline, it takes self-discipline. And part of discipleship, if we follow through, is actually about um, foregoing our rights and our privileges and our thoughts and opinions for the sake of the gospel. And it takes training and it takes practice. It's not easy to change how you think about things. It's not easy to say, I'm going to continue to forego these things for the sake of the gospel or I'm going to continue to adopt these things which at first don't feel comfortable for me for the sake of the gospel. It takes practice and thought about saying, I'm going to control my thoughts uh, in this way and form new habits. But the other thing he also says is that it's not aimless, that there's a purpose to what we're doing. By all means possible, that we might save some. And Paul also highlights, as we come down into uh, verse 25, that there's a reason and there's a reward for the effort that we make. Not only do we get really fit, but we get a crown that lasts forever. A crown that is honour in the presence of God and all others in heaven. And I think honour in the presence of God is an amazing thing. Something makes me say, woohoo! Either that or I'll be flat on my face. And I actually think it's probably more like the latter. But I just want to say, woo-hoo! A, because it's fun. And B, because that's how people outside say hallelujah. <laughs> okay? That's how people say hallelujah. Woohoo! needs a little bit of translation, I know, for Christians. Okay? And probably for Christians, hallelujah has Yah at the end, which is God. So just to say you're allowed to say hallelujah, just explain what it actually is when you do so. It's a great thing so that people who come from outside, they might know, what's this word? I've never used that before. It just means praise be to God. And um, if we're going to get honour in the presence of God, I don't know about you, but that freaks me out, quite frankly. So wrapping up, we might not have... Some of you may have, but we may or may not have as many runs on the board as Paul when it comes to what he actually was doing as an apostle of Jesus. Our rights might actually not be as great as his. We might not deserve as much as as we think Paul does, but I'll tell you what, I think most of us actually have a feeling about what our rights are and what we do deserve. I've been doing all this work for the church and nobody recognises it. We hear that, that people feel um, you know, undone. You know, I deserve better, I've been doing all this stuff and now I still have to go and do this because so and so didn't do it. Can we lay down our rights? The encouragement today is to lay those things down, to lay down our rights, our cultures, our practices, our opinions, our being right. Not only for the sake of our brothers and sisters in chapter 8, not only for the sake of the community, but for the sake of the gospel, chapter 9. For the sake of winning people to Christ, they would hear that message of his death on a cross, resurrection, eternal life and abundant life here and now. Not to say it's all a clear run, because we're promised suffering as well but for the sake of winning people to Christ and then treating them well thereafter. That when they join the community, that's a great experience, not one that's divided over trivial things for the sake of Jesus. So that's our encouragement today. You know, Have a think about to what extent am I willing to lay down my rights and my freedoms that I have in Christ in order that some, what am I willing to let go of? that we might win some for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're here with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to come to earth, to give up everything that you had, to come to earth, to live a life in the way that we do, to be tempted in every way in which we are. To see suffering ahead in the form of the cross. To die on that cross. And then to rise again that we might actually have this chance to be with God. It's amazing. And we say thank you. Thanks for the chance that we have to actually spend eternity with you in the presence of goodness in the presence of all that you have done in the, in, with an understanding of the world and the universe that we just don't have right now. And we pray and we ask for your help as well for those of us who are part of this church and this congregation. We ask for your help because we know it's not always easy to forego things, to be the person who actually does things that others don't do or won't do, to forgo our rights to spend time with this person or that person in order that we might spend time with someone else who needs it more. We need your help, and so we ask for it. We just say, we'd ask you to help us change where we need to change and to be more like Paul was Who was confident enough to be able to say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Help us to get to a point where we feel comfortable to say that too. We know we won't be perfect. But help us to be better. Not through our strength, but through what you give us. And help us to be just good and faithful followers of you. In Jesus' name. Amen.